But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The era of big government is over. President Review, a podcast review of all 45 presidents from Washington to Trump. New episodes every Friday on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Politics Weekly. Uh, I am here again. Uh, We're here for the St. Patrick's Day episode, uh, and I am here again with my father, Jeff Cleary. Hey, Nolan. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, Now, for those who did not watch or listen to the first episode that he is in, um, he worked on multiple campaigns. He worked for the Bush campaign uh, in 2000 and 2004, I believe, too, right? That's right. He worked for uh, McCain's campaign, John McCain's presidential campaign in 2008. Um, he worked uh, for uh, Governor New York Governor George Pataki, who was the most recent Republican governor. He served from 1995 to 2006. Um, and you consider yourself uh, a Ray? Would you consider yourself a Reagan Republican or a Reagan conservative? I think I would, yeah. All right. Um, so why don't we uh, get started with uh, the news? So uh, first off, we have a couple updates about um, the 20, uh, 20 Senate races, um, starting with uh, Alabama. Of course, uh, Republicans really would like to get that seat back. They're hoping to take down Doug Jones um, of course, Trump and Mitt Romney both won the state by landslides in 2016 and 2012. Um, but right now, Roy Moore, the uh, the uh, controversial chief justice on the Alabama Supreme Court, he's no longer is, but he was. Um, he was the controversial chief justice on the Alabama Supreme Court. He was also the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate in 2017 um, for that seat. Um, who narrowly lost to Roy Moore, who, uh, of course, was accused um, of having inappropriate relationships uh, with uh, underaged women, um, has um, said or that he is seriously considering um, another run uh, for U.S. Senate uh, in Alabama. Um Moore uh, was on a Christian uh, radio show called Focal Point, and this is what he had to say uh, in regards to the election. He says, I'm seriously considering it. I think that it, referring to the 2017 special election, uh, was stolen. Um, uh, So that is interesting. Um, another update um, in Montana, Democrats didn't have too much hope uh, of winning there, but they do think that there's a small chance they could take down Steve Daines because um, if 
the uh, the governor, Steve Bullock, ran. However, Bullock is now saying he does not want to run. He said uh, in an interview, um, I've expressed all along that I just don't have any, uh, uh, just don't have an interest in running for U.S. Senate. He goes on to say, I think uh, my skill set uh, and my and what I've done, I just wouldn't enjoy it. So I'd rule I'd rule it out. He told that to the Montana Free Press. Um, this uh, further fuels speculation that he is uh, going to run uh, for uh, the presidency. And then finally, in North Carolina, uh, we know in uh, the governor's race, Dan Forrest, the uh, lieutenant governor, has started. Uh, an exploratory committee. He's hoping to take down Roy Cooper, the incumbent Democrat who's running for re-election. And then in the Senate race where uh, Democrats would like to unseat incumbent Republican Tom Tillis, uh, we know that Tillis was one of the Republicans that voted to condemn Trump's national emergency. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, And because of that, apparently he now has a Republican challenger in businessman uh, Garland Tucker and two Democrats, uh, Trevor Fuller, the uh, Mecklenburg County Commissioner, and Erica Smith, a state senator, have both announced they are going to uh, challenge him in the primary. or or They're not going to challenge him in the primary. They're going to challenge him as Democrats. So what are your thoughts on all these updates? Oh. Okay, so um, uh, what are your thoughts on some of the races like Alabama? Well, I think, I think that Roy Moore should face, face the inevitable, and, and uh, it, it's time for him to retire. I don't think he's good for the party message or the party, uh, you know, for the future. So I think it's time for Roy to go. Now, I think that is a winnable seat for the Republicans, and I, except except for him in that as the candidate. Now, some people have been saying with Bullock, you know, saying he might he's not going to run potentially to run for president. Um, we've seen that um, a lot of Democrats that were rumored to run for Senate seats, like Beto in Texas, who we now know we'll talk a little later, is not running for that seat. Hickenlooper in Colorado, again, a seat they think they have a good chance in regardless, but who they think could have could have made it a safe Democratic seat um, if he had chosen uh, to run. Uh, now, potentially, Stacey Abrams might not even run in Georgia. She might run for president. Do you think that they, that they're having a Senate problem where all these candidates that would be viable candidates for Senate are running for president instead? Well, yes, and I think they have a bigger problem. I think they have an overall problem. I think that everyone thinks that the thinner that the Democratic uh, field gets, the the more chance anyone could rise from the ashes. And furthermore, what that does to the Democrat seats, where they had potentially uh, possible, uh, you know, uh, very popular Democrat candidates, who have opted to run for president instead are now it's now now going to tax democrat resources more and make them put more money into either defending seats or well running for seats because the people they are likely to get have a much less uh, name recognition interesting so um why don't we move on uh to one of the other stories so let's talk a little bit about brexit so brexit for um 
Uh, now, you had a lot to talk about with Brexit, but let's talk about a little bit the news. Um, so this week, Theresa May um, offered a new proposal um, in British Parliament, um, and it was struck down by a big margin. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, the Labour Party leader, uh, even suggested potentially holding a new general election soon. Um, what are your thoughts uh, on uh, the uh, the story this week? And you also had some other stuff to say about Brexit as well. Well, I... I, I... I think that a lot of people in the United Kingdom probably have buyer's remorse for voting for Brexit. I I don't. I understand why they did it, and I understand the concerns, and I understand a lot of the pain that being a member of the European Union has inflicted on some, particularly some of the bigger countries. Um, whether or not there's an election, I don't know, but I think what people have to understand about Brexit, some of the big things, first of all, Theresa May was able to go into a government, to form a government, with members of uh, Northern Ireland Unionists. And at this, this Brexit would be so much easier uh, if, if Great Britain was standing alone as a country. Scotland, the, pe- the people of Scotland, the people of Wales both voted to to stay in the European Union, as did the people of Northern Ireland. Now, because Scotland and Wales are actually on the same island as Britain, there is less of a problem. But the, the center of Brexit really is Northern Ireland and the Irish question as a whole. Because Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, is a member of the European Union, and voted and never voted has is a is a is a member of the European Union. Uh, they they are staying in the European Union. Now, if if the United Kingdom were to leave the European Union, the six counties in the north of Ireland, being you know part of the United Kingdom, as it were. You have a border issue because people in America and around the world could fly into the Republic of Ireland, and it, and and if you do not resurrect a border between Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom, they can go right into the United Kingdom, hop on a plane, and then they are in Europe without ever entering Europe the official way of presenting papers and passports and whatnot. Uh, it's a huge question. The the other issues, of course, are erecting a border or having any sort of a border along along the uh, six counties would um, would threaten the peace of the island of Ireland. So, of course, I think I share what along with a lot of my friends that it, it is time for a united Ireland, uh, and that would solve the Brexit issue as well. The uh, Northern Ireland politicians that are keeping Theresa May in power are certainly against that, uh, and I think and I think that this is very a very interesting time, not only for Brexit but I think what's being looked at much less is for Ireland, the future of the island of Ireland, the future of the economics of the island of Ireland because they will now be a in a much better place as the far western. Uh, 
outlet depot, if you will, of the uh, European Union as opposed to the powerhouse of the United Kingdom. So I think Theresa May has got a lot, a lot on her plate, but at the same time, the drop dead get out <clears throat> of Brexit. Europe has a problem with with having no deal because the European Union is sworn to preserve the integrity of the United Kingdom and many countries including the United States are sworn to uh, preserve the dignity and principles of the Good Friday Agreement of 1998. <clears throat> Therefore it is not just an English problem or a United Kingdom problem it's also a big European problem but in the end I think that Ireland and and the United States will benefit from a little bit of this discord. Do you think that uh, Theresa May is going to, uh, or really anyone in Parliament is going to be able to come up with a successful uh, Brexit negotiation with the EU to prevent um, a hard Brexit, or do you think it is too late for that? Well, first of all, I don't I don't see how a hard Brexit is feasible considering the agreements that the European Union has with Ireland. I've heard this term hard Brexit for a very long time. I don't I don't I don't understand how it's accomplishable because they have duties, responsibilities and loyalties and agreements with Ireland. So I I don't I don't really understand truly what a hard Brexit is without resolving the Irish question. And as for Theresa May, I think that I think that you know I think this after when there is another election, I'm sure she's probably done. But I don't think that there's an appetite to there's a small appetite to replace her. But but I think that no one wants to face this mess of getting the the United Kingdom out of 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 uh, Europe, and the a further problem exists. In that, should there be a United Ireland, should uh, the North of Ireland leave the United Kingdom, there is a very strong belief that Scotland will hold a new referendum on independence to leave the United Kingdom and form their own independent country, which creates a whole host of other issues, as many people know. An awful lot of the wealth, the natural wealth, the resources of the island of the United Kingdom is in oil, which is all in the Scot, mostly in the Scotland uh, countryside. So, so that presents a, a, a much bigger problem um, than, than just resolving Brexit because there's trickle-down things that can happen afterwards. All right. So why don't we move on then? Uh, so uh, a new poll came out showing Alexand uh, uh, freshman Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's uh, approval ratings, um, and they're very similar to Donald Trump's, but the approval numbers uh, show that she has a 31% approval rating amongst her constituents and a 41% disapproval rating. Um, why do you think um, her approval numbers are uh, are so low, and what do you think it means for her political future? Well, first of all, she is, of course, the 
known also known as the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> but um, you know, I mean, I think people have to go back to the path that got her there and the and the election that got her there because, as everyone knows, in that district, that is a very heavy Democrat district. So whoever wins a Democrat primary is going to win most likely the general elect election. So when she beat Joe Crowley. In that entire congressional district, there were only 25,000 votes cast. She got 14, Joe Crowley got 10. Now we're seeing the poll results that you're referring to from the entire district, mm -hmm. from the, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of voters um, in that district. Those voters should be ashamed of themselves because they didn't pay attention. And the Democrats should be ashamed of themselves because they were not paying attention on that primary day in September, which caused uh, this to happen. And so, so I think that's the first thing. I think that, you know, you know, people were happy, Democrats were happy to have this youth, youthful face um, in coming into office. And now I think that the adults in the room are starting to understand how much she doesn't know. And she has misspoke. She has had gaffe after gaffe after gaffe after gaffe. She couldn't find the majority leader of the United States Senate while he was sitting in the Senate Majority Leader's office. Um, she thought she was going to be inaugurated. She thought she was going to be signing bills. Uh, we can go on and on on this. Uh, now she is taking very fuel, uh, high fuel use vehicles all over the place when uh, public uh, transportation is available to her um, and she is screaming from the bully pulpit about clean energy of course she is the author of the Green New Deal uh, I think it was a brilliant move by Mitch McConnell to say that he was going to call for an immediate vote on that Donald Trump at CPAC uh, embraced the Green New Deal as a major political um, uh, talking point and discussion for the next election and I think that some of the uh, older more mature Democrats I think the uh, bloom is off the rose as they would say and now they're seeing that um, she and other young people in this freshman uh, class of uh, Democrats um, really really aren't up to the task and don't uh, really comprehend what they've gotten themselves into. Um, do you think this opens the door for a potential primary challenger for her in 2020? Well, I do, and I think not, not only for her poll numbers, but she's going around uh, the country threatening other more moderate Democrats with primaries. And, and for, for a seasoned Democrat, with a proven record to do that would be very dangerous for a freshman uh, Democrat with virtually no legislative accomplishments to do that, I think, is, is near suicide um, because, you know, it takes a lot to uh, win and retain office. And some of that is is being friendly with the party mechanism and the the in her case, the the. The Bronx uh, County Democrat Party and the Queens County Democrat Party, so I think I think she's I think she's you know, it's it's fun 
to see an energetic uh, young person or young people that we see in this in this in this freshman class, but but their energy has to be backed with some knowledge and some smarts, and and that certainly is is lacking. And and I hope that the young people who see her will remain energized to participate in government, but will maybe also learn a lesson that they have to really understand how a government functions um, and, 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 and not only how a government functions from the how a bill becomes a law standpoint, but how it really functions and what the inner workings of, of, of party leadership is and building parties and, and negotiating. There seems to be no negotiation with a lot of these freshman Democrats. They want it their way or the highway. And, um, and I hear all these new Democrats talking about, well, I can bring people together. Well, I've heard nothing from any of them how they're going to entice me into even a compromise on any idea because it's very extreme. But yes, I think, I think she could be in trouble in, in, in two years. All right, why don't we move on then? So last week when Green Party presidential candidate Ian Schlockman was our guest... Um, we talked about how the House uh, voted, the U.S. House of Representatives voted to condemn Trump's national emergency declaration uh, to allocate uh, money for his uh, proposed border wall. That wasn't much of a surprise. It was expected as Democrats controlled the House. Um, but uh, it was not uh, as certain what would happen in the U.S. Senate, which is controlled by Republicans, um, but uh, recently the vote was held, and by a 59 uh, to uh, 40, uh, 41 margin, um, the Senate, the U.S. Senate voted to condemn Trump's national emergency declaration, which means that was about one short uh, of 60 votes. So had... Um, had they voted, had 60 of them voted uh, to condemn the National Emergency Declaration and Trump tried to veto it, there was a possibility um, the Senate could have uh, overturned that veto um, with 60 votes. But now that they didn't, they, they just didn't get to 60 votes, that makes it unlikely that uh, that will happen. But what are your thoughts on the Senate condemning uh, Trump's national emergency? Well, I, I'm glad you used the term unlikely. I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't stop the other members of the Republican conference in the Senate from going out and trying to recruit one more vote. There, there, it's a, you know, overriding a, a veto is, is, is very much a separate question from the issue of the emergency. I mean, there are people who believe that we have three separate but equal branches of government. And, and so I, I can see at least a, a, a far reach of a possibility where one more Republican would come over and vote to override the veto. But I think that Trump made a big mistake when he came out in the Rose Garden a few weeks ago and said of the national emergency, I believe on the day he called for this national emergency, he said, I didn't have to do it this way. I could have taken longer. I could have done it that way, but I want to get, but I want to get this done now. He basically declared that there, this was not a national emergency. And I think that gave a lot of these people, a lot of these Republicans, political cover 
to go out and say, okay, well, we want this as, as you do, but we do not see the national emergency as a road to get there. And therefore, we're not going to use that because there is a fear of how future presidents uh, may use this power. I do not share this fear. I believe that Nancy Pelosi and the incoming Democrats, that who are, if there's another, should there be another Democrat president in the future, would not, would not uh, har- miss an opportunity to, to abuse um, uh, executive privilege uh, in, in this way or, or many other ways, as we saw the, the wreckage that was caused by the Obama administration and the abuse of executive privilege. If you were a member of Congress right now, would you vote to condemn the national emergency or would you not? I, I, uh, we, we didn't talk about that question, so, so you're going to get a candid answer. I don't share the belief that we need a border wall from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific Ocean. I think both the president and Congress are using this issue as, as, a political football or a political tool to strengthen their base and neither one of them are showing the characteristics of wanting what's best for the United States. Uh, there are there are many concerns at the southern border and there are many ways to secure different portions of the border. President Trump has said that he wants this wall and Congress and most most members of the Democrats have already voted for the for the wall and for um, a, a border of some sort, a fence or a wall in the past. But now that it's President Trump, they don't want to they don't want to give it to him. This is all politics, and neither side is looking out for the national interest. Both sides are looking out to protect their political base. All right. Why don't we move on then? So um, this week. Um, Beto O'Rourke, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who uh, previously lost narrowly to Ted Cruz uh, in the Texas 2018 Senate race, announced his candidacy uh, for president. Uh, O'Rourke raised over $6 million online uh, within 24 hours of announcing his campaign. Um, New sources also saying Joe Biden uh, the former vice president and former Delaware senator may be on track uh, to run. Uh, and this uh, Wednesday, uh, Andrew Gillum, the former mayor of Tallahassee, uh, who was the Democratic candidate for governor of Florida in 2018, is scheduled to make an announcement about um, the presidential, uh, his presidential ambitions. Uh, it's expected he will either announce his candidacy or announce that he has formed an exploratory committee. Uh, what are your thoughts on these three individuals potentially getting in? Well, first of all, Nolan, if you invite me back for a show next month, I'll let you know what my intentions are. I'll be making a very special announcement concerning <laughs> my future as a p- potential presidential candidate. Beto's fundraising prowls were very impressive beating up on uh, Bernie Sanders' record, as I understand it. Um, I, I, I don't understand how a person who loses 
the United States Senate immediately feels that he's a race for the United States Senate immediately feels that he is a candidate for president of the United States. I know he has a very large following among young people and and so I think that's what's helping him. Uh I you know, I think the source that you were referring to about Joe Biden potentially getting into the race was Joe Biden, who who yesterday had a gaffe and said that he was um you know, the most progressive person to run for and then grabs himself and did not say so should he run. I think he was on his way to an announcement. Uh and I and I do suspect that Joe Biden will in fact uh run. So uh I I welcome them all. I'm gonna enjoy I mean we thought that the sixteen Republicans were was funny. I think we're already up to twenty one or twenty two Democrats. Um, do you think uh, there's any upsides to there being a crowded field for Democrats for them? For them? Yeah. No. All right. How's that for an answer? <laughs> Why don't we move on then? So the. Next story here. So, um, uh, Tucker Carlson, um, is now, uh, coming under controversy. Uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, Fox News, uh, host, um, uh, recently there were, um, uh, there were, uh, tapes that came out, uh, about, uh, Carlson, where he was talking, uh, about, um, where he was talking to, uh, a radio show host named, uh, Bubba the Love Sponge, um, how's that for a name, um, and he made controversial comments about Muslims in Iraq, and one of the things he said is, quote, Iraq is a crappy place, uh, filled with a bunch of, you know, semi-illiterate, uh, semi primitive monkeys, um, and, um, there was also, uh, at one point, um, he was talking about, um, a, uh, and then he also said, um, I, I quote, I just have no, uh, sympathy for them, uh, or their culture, um, a culture where people just don't use toilet paper or forks, uh, they can just say whatever, uh, the F up and obey, or they can just shut the F up and obey, uh, is my view. Um, there was also, um, he also came under controversy, um, because there was, uh, this one person he was talking about, um, who, um, was, uh, uh, who was a, uh, a, I think he, he, he claimed to be a priest, um, and he was arranging marriages between, uh, children and adults, um, and he got life in prison, and Carlson said that he deserved prison time, but he didn't deserve life in prison because he wasn't, the, this so-called priest wasn't actually, uh, raping children himself, or he wasn't, he, what, the words he used was he wasn't pulling them aside and groping them or touching them, uh, on the street, um, he was just arranging marriages for them. 
Um, and some people have called for Carlson to be fired uh, from Fox News. Um, as of right now, it looks like that's not going to happen. Carlson is sticking by um, what he said. He's, he's saying that this uh, con- he, he's trying to say that this controversy happened a while back. Um, and it, there's no point in unearthing it now. Um, a few major advertisers have pulled, uh, their ads from Fox News, um, from his program. Um, so what are your thoughts on this, uh, controversy with Tucker Carlson? Well, first of all, I think that any grown adult, uh, can look back in their past and have had made statements many statements maybe that they don't even remember making uh, that they regret having thoughts or committed actions that they have regretted um, and and I and I and I don't think that there is a Republican a Democrat or uh, anyone in Washington or in politics or in humanity for that matter that that does not regret something that they said as a youth I I think that this gotcha attitude of something that you did 30 years ago or 20 years ago is absolutely ridiculous calling for people to resign and I mean that in 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 both parties um I I I just I just think that you know you know you can say what did you mean by that and 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 ask for clarity and and allow the person to apologize and and move on I, I mean we had um you know, I can I can sit here for a, quite a while and quote things that Barack Obama said that he believed in in his defense of the Marriage Act, in in many many things that son, his attitude suddenly changed after he was reelected with the Clintons, with many Democrats who who held a position until it wasn't politically expedient for them to hold a position anymore. So, from that standpoint, I I, I Tucker Carlson does not express those views anymore he does not take actions on those views um anymore and as for his remarks about this minister or a priest you know i i i find the entire uh sentencing structure in america interesting because we have people who commit capital crimes or or uh, very high levels of manslaughter, who get out of jail and prison at different times, and then we have other people who certainly commit less violent or nonviolent crimes, who spend um, the rest of their lives in jail. Um, we see people who commit very heinous acts, getting long sentences, but yet not life there's there are people who believe that the age of the of the person committing the crime should be taken into account so that if for an example a young person um who commits a crime at 18 or 21 may not spend the rest of their life in prison may have a chance at life so so the structure of the entire sentencing is confusing to me and and so i don't know very much about that individual case but um uh, perhaps that's where he was going with that. All right. Um, 
So uh, why don't we move on? So as most people have probably heard uh, this weekend, um, there was uh, there were two shootings uh, at Christchurch mosques uh, in uh, New Zealand. Uh, a 28-year-old uh, white nationalist, uh, white supremacist, um, live streamed um, him going to himself going to. Uh, both of the mosques, uh, and uh, immediately opened fire. Um, right now, the suspect um, is uh, is a man named uh, Brenton uh, Tarrant, um, but at least 50 um, uh, people in the church uh, were uh, expected uh, to be killed. Uh, President Trump condemning uh, the murder. Uh, what were your thoughts on the shootings in New Zealand? Well, it's absolutely disgusting. I mean, I think everybody, most people believe in, in uh, human rights. And, and certainly here in America, we believe in the right to pack, practice one's faith. And, and, and I think that we also believe as Americans that that should be a, a standard for the world, that anyone in the world should be able to practice their faith and, and should be able to do so unharmed. It was just an absolute tragedy and this this hate that exists out there is, is so disgusting and, and it should be condemned at every level and and it's it's just it just you know it's very sad and and I don't know how you stop it other than to from from leaders both religious and political leaders to try to come together and find common ground and and also people just need to talk to each other with a little more dignity and 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 I think we've lost a little of that but the bigotry and hate and racism that exists out there I mean we've just gone through St. Patrick's Day and I've seen some very very insulting things uh, about you know about the way the Irish were portrayed and about ideas about who the Irish are and, and Catholics and and it's it's that that hurts me very much as you know personally Nolan and and so but this this was a true uh, tragedy in New Zealand and and um, and I, I I wish I had an answer I really do all right well why don't we move on to the next story. So, um, pr- uh, President Trump, uh, recently, um, he invited, uh, Tim Cook to the White House, um, the C, I believe he's the CEO of Facebook, um, and, uh, he, a, a lot of people were reporting that he said, uh, uh, Tim Apple, uh, instead of Tim Cook. Um, Trump, uh, defended, uh, this uh, via Twitter uh, saying, quote, at a recent, and he said this in a tweet, uh, quote, at a recent roundtable meeting of business executives, and long after formally introducing Tim Cook of Apple, I quickly referred to Tim plus Apple as Tim slash Apple as an easy way to save time, time and words. The fake news was uh, disparagingly all over this. And it became yet another bad Trump story. Uh, Tim Apple uh, making um, 
still making the best of the situation uh, by app adding an Apple emoji to his Twitter name. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, this uh, case? We have many issues in this country, many problems. We do have uh, a political war going on over the border. We have a political war going on over the legitimacy of the presidency. We have shootings going on around the world with white supremacy and just hate of different religions and, and, and different uh, ways of lives or walks of lives. In our daily lives, we face many, many issues. And I have watched some of this on TV and I've watched some of the time devoted to this and I would just say that this is this is a great example of what is part of the problem we are having a long conversation about whether the president misspoke or not and and what he called him there was no insults here I we can go back and we can look at gaffe after gaffe after gaffe of of big-time candidates and big-time uh, political office holders. Uh, Barack Obama famously said he had visited 57 states and had a few more to go. Um, we can go back and we can look at Dan Quayle and the misspelling of potato. There are so many uh, uh, gaffes that have been made, and, and the time I don't even like spending the time on it here and now, to be honest with you. All right. Well, then we will move on. Thank you. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I, I had to talk about that, but um, let's uh, move on. So Nancy, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, uh, said this week that uh, she, uh, well, uh, she does not have any plans to impeach uh, Donald Trump uh, as of this moment. Um, she also um, is uh, moving uh, uh, Vice President Mike Pence's space uh, in uh, the House out. Um, so uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think she doesn't have any plans to impeach the president at this moment. By 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, her plans can change. Um, I, I, I don't read into that. I certainly don't trust her. Um, I, I, I have no reason to trust her. She's never proven herself to, to be someone trustworthy, uh, in many, many ways. Uh, I, I don't know what her motivation is in moving, uh, Pence's office out. It seems petty to me. Um, just like the, uh, denying the president the podium for the State of the Union seemed petty to me. Um, she is stretching her muscles and stretching her independence and, and perhaps there's a good thing there in that we have to remember that we do have three equal branches of government. Um, Pence is the president of the Senate. Um, I don't know exactly. I, he holds no constitutional role in the House of Representatives and frankly I have to tell you that until I heard this story I did not know that the Vice President occupied in office in the House of Representatives. Mm. Um, so I know that the vice president has an office at his home at the Na Naval Observatory. Uh, 
I know that the vice president has an office in the old executive office building, and I know that the vice president has an office in the West Wing. And I did know that the vice president had an office in the Capitol on the Senate side. That's quite a few offices for one man. Mm. Uh, so I'm not sure that, but, and I don't know how often Vice President Pence spent occupying that office, but I also don't know what her, her uh, motivation was, but it, it does seem petty. All right. Well, then, uh, let's move on. So the, uh, uh, for months, uh, people have wondered where the Democratic National Convention would be held since the summer, uh, both the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention were supposed to be announced, the locations for both. Um, we did figure out during the summer that the Republican National Convention would be held in Charlotte, North Carolina, the first one to host a Republican National Convention in history. Um, but now, but originally the uh, Democrats were about to announce that uh, Denver, Colorado was their location, but that was canceled at the 11th hour. And at, after the summer, there was no announcement. But this past week, we finally figured out that the location for the 2020 Democratic National Convention will be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, so what are your thoughts on the, the location? Was it smart uh, for Democrats to hold uh, their convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? I think that the site of, of any convention in either party... Uh, is overrated. I, I, I can't think of many times when a convention location has done much to help or determine the outcome of an election. Um, I think it's fun to spread it around. I have uh, attended several conventions. I have been a delegate at one convention and an alternate delegate at another convention. Uh, I was proud to be a delegate, proud to be an alternate. Um, I've, I've seen a good portion of the country and visited some of our great cities uh, solely because I was attending uh, Republican conventions. But I, I really don't, I think that the parties waste too much time um, trying to figure out, I think there are hotbeds to stay away from. Um, I, I, the obvious one being Las Vegas. Um, I'm shocked that the Democrats with the legalization of marijuana is staying out of Denver. I thought that being high in the Mile High City is exactly where they would belong and want to be. Uh, Milwaukee, I've never been there. I'm sure it's a great city. Um, I wish both sides the best and enjoy your conventions. They're a lot of fun. All right. Um, and then why don't we move on to the last story then? Uh, so the last story, uh, Trump uh, is saying that he will, um, he does plan uh, to uh, cut, uh, uh, he, he does have a ton of uh, uh, cut, I, or he tends to cut, or he has a plan to cut spending uh, over 10 years. Um, part of that would include uh, 1.5 uh, trillion uh, to uh, Medicaid, but what are your um, what are your thoughts on him uh, calling to uh, cut uh, two point seven trillion dollars uh, in spending over ten years? 
Well, on the number itself, I am a big proponent of cutting the size of government and cutting spending. Government spends too much. We have to, we have to roll that back. As to where the cuts come from uh, and, and how you achieve them, that is a much more complicated question. But certainly, government is bloated. Government is too big. Government spends too much. And we are already wasting ridiculous amounts of money just paying interest on the national debt. So I am a big, big fan of cutting spending in uh, the government. Uh, that being said, uh, it takes an awful lot of people and an awful lot of pieces, a big jigsaw puzzle to put together a budget and a, and a spending program as to where you can cut and how much you can cut. Of course, all of that gets lost in political rhetoric um, when you say, well, we're going to cut this, that, or the other thing. It could mean, well, we're going to make sure that all the directors have to keep their cars for another year instead of getting new cars, but they just say, well, you're cutting Medicaid. Well, no, you're not. Uh, but 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 it is a very... I, I understand that it's cutting things is painful and hard and it certainly there's an awful lot of uh, mouths to feed out there uh, there's political questions as well as government questions but uh, on the overall principle of cutting spending and anything that can, done, can be done to reduce the size of government I'm for it alright thank you sir um, it's been and... an honor and a privilege to be back with you Nolan all right, um, and thank you again, everyone, for listening. Are you going to run for president of the United States and do something about it? Do you think she should? Do you think she should? Are you going to run? <laughs> I have decided to run, and we'll be making a formal announcement within the next week. Whoa. A congresswoman, a war hero, and a progressive, who is Tulsi Gabbard, the woman who is standing up to the establishment she once was a part of and now wants to be president. The Candidates Donald Trump has got to be defeated, and I intend to do everything that I can with every other progressive in America making sure that that happens. Their Stories we got a real opportunity to build something. And their fight for the White House. Keep America great! Exclamation point. Keep America great. This is Presidential Profile 2020. At that inflection moment, where were you? This is that moment. It's our job to remind the American people that we're looking out for them. So all of you, showing the country how you do this. The special interests and the powerful have such an outsized influence and outcome to restore our democracy. Tulsi Gabbard was born on April 12, 1981 to Mike and Carol in America, Somalia, where she and her family resided until age three when they moved to Hawaii. Gabbard is mixed race. Her father practices Catholicism while her mother practices Hinduism. Gabbard is a believer in Hinduism. 
Gabbard was homeschooled for most of her life as a child and attended Hawaii Pacific University until 2002 when she ran for the Hawaii State Legislature. Hawaii ran as a conservative Democrat at the time and initially opposed gay marriage and civil unions, a position which has proven to be controversial to this day. Aloha. In my past, I said and believed things that were wrong. And worse, they were very hurtful to people in the LGBTQ community and to their loved ones. Many years ago, I apologized for my words and more importantly, for the negative impact that they had. I sincerely repeat my apology today. I'm deeply sorry for having said them. After winning the nomination, Gabbard defeated Republican Alfonso Jimenez by a 65 to 35% margin. Gabbard became the youngest member of the Hawaii State Legislature in history. During her time in the legislature, she fought for clean energy leg legislation. However, in 2003, she enlisted in Hawaii's Army National Guard. In 2004, Rita Cabanilla primaried her for her seat in the state legislature. Cabanilla called on Gabbard to resign after joining the National Guard. Gabbard refused, but ceased campaigning, losing the nomination to Kabila by a large margin. Gabbard then went on a 12-month tour in Iraq and was deployed twice. She returned home, and in 2010, she ran for the Honolulu City Council after Rod Grams retired to run for mayor of Honolulu. Gabbard came in first in the first election and advanced to a runoff where she took down Sensanita Mopombo by a 58 to 41% margin. During her time on the Honolulu City Council, she supported legislation to loosen food truck parking restrictions, which was successful. In 2012, she announced she'd be running for the U.S. House of Representatives in the 2nd District after incumbent Democrat Maisie Hirono announced she'd retire to run for a U.S. Senate seat. Gabbard embraced a more progressive platform, supporting LGBT rights and access to abortion. After winning the nomination from her party, Gabbard resigned from her seat on the Honolulu City Council to focus on her campaign. Gabbard also traveled to North Carolina to speak for President Barack Obama at the 2012 Democratic National Convention that year. Tulsi Gabbard, she is going to be the one to watch tonight at the DNC. She defeated Republican Kawika Crowley by an 80 to 19 margin in November. A month after winning her election, Gabbard vied for an appointment to the U.S. Senate seat left vacant by David Inoue, who held the seat for almost 50 years before his death. However, Hawaii Governor Neil Abercrombie controversially appointed Lieutenant Governor Brian Schatz to the seat instead. During her time in Congress, Gabbard introduced the Helping Heroes Fly Act, which was an attempt to improve airport security screenings for injured and handicapped veterans, which easily passed bipartisanly in Congress and was signed into law by President Obama. Crowley challenged Gabbard to a rematch in 2014 and lost to Gabbard by a 78-18 to 18 margin. In spite of President Obama, a member of her own party, being born in Hawaii and winning the state by a whopping 40 points the same night Gabbard was elected, Gabbard was often at odds with Obama and disagreed with him on foreign policy issues. 
Gabbard, who is a non-interventionist, attacked Obama for his involvement in Syria. Eventually, Gabbard became the vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. However, she was at odds with the chair of the committee, Florida Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and attacked her for holding only six debates throughout the entire 2016 Democratic primary cycle. Gabbard accused Schultz of trying to prop up former Secretary of State, former New York Senator, and former First Lady Hillary Clinton as the frontrunner. Her criticism of Schultz led to her being disinvited from the Las Vegas Democratic primary debate. Gabbard was informed she would be required to give her superdelegate to Clinton. However, Gabbard refused, and in February of 2016, she made national headlines from resigning from the Democratic National Committee to endorse Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders instead, siding with him for his non-interventionist voting record. So the Democratic Party has, has been using the superdelegate system where um, as people are running for president, you have a certain number of, of delegates that go to one person or another uh, based on that state's rules. Rumors swirled that if Sanders was the nominee, he might choose Gabbard as his vice presidential pick. However, Sanders ended up losing the nomination to Clinton. Later, on the eve of the Democratic primary, leaked emails from WikiLeaks revealed that DNC officials conspired to help Clinton win in the primaries. This controversy led to Schultz resigning from her position as DNC chair. Multiple states, Bernie Sanders was listed as a write-in option during the general election, with Gabbard listed in the running mate section of the ballot. Clinton went on to lose to Republican New York businessman Donald Trump. That same night, she took down Republican Angela Caillou by an 81-18% to 18 margin. After Trump won, Gabbard became the source of attention for many Republicans. She came under fire from the left when white nationalist Richard Spencer said he hoped she'd run for president, and KKK wizard David Duke endorsed her to be Trump's Secretary of State. However, Gabbard has denounced both of these individuals. Gabbard endorsed Minnesota Congressman Keith Ellison for DNC chair, though he lost to former Labor Secretary Thomas Perez. Gabbard went on a trip to Syria and controversially said that she believed the United States should not take down Bashar al-Assad's reign as the nation's leader. Gabbard got in trouble for violating House ethics laws. A poll showed Gabbard was, quote, the Republicans' favorite Democrat in Congress. Gabbard supported Bernie Sanders' idea of a Medicare for All system. Rumors spread that Gabbard could seek the nomination for her party in 2020. However, Gabbard kept much of the hype in secret and won re-election to her seat in 2018, dispatching Republican musician Brian Evans by a 77 to 22% margin. In 2019, Gabbard penned an article criticizing Democrats for weaponizing religion. Many believe the criticism was aimed at Hawaii U.S. Senator Maisie Hirono, who once held Gabbard's seat. She fired back. In January of 2019, on Van Jones's show, Gabbard announced her candidacy for president. Now, she hopes to be the first woman president of the United States and the first president of South Asian descent.
But every time we launch these interventionist regime change wars, it is not only our veterans who pay the price for that. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly. New episodes every Tuesday.